psalmist in Psalm 73 ask a question that maybe you have asked in your life. Why do the wicked prosper and my attempts at righteous living seem to be in vain? The psalmist is not David, it's Asaph. Asaph was really a worship leader for David and the Hebrew people. And even maybe people that came after Asaph were referred to as Asaph. They were the worship leaders. Psalm 73 is the midway point of the 150 psalm playlist that we've been given. And this playlist is raw emotion between human beings conversing with God. And I love Psalm 73. In fact, it was an early psalm that was spoken into my life because it taught me to gain a perspective, an everyday perspective that I want to pass along to you today. And it's a perspective, I believe, that's very helpful in our lives as we seek to serve God. I know that we don't have much time in looking at it today, and so when we walk through that presentation, it sort of uh, frames it up in a nice uh, hip kind of way, I guess. But in each of those stanzas is deep emotion from Asaph. He is pouring out his heart to God. Why is this true? He's looking around. Have you had weeks where you've looked around and you've tried to observe things and you're wondering, well, why is it different for me than other people? When it was originally framed up to me a number of years ago, it was framed up around the word chump. Do you know what a chump is? A chump is somebody who tries hard to live life by the rules and do everything right but never seems to get ahead. Got any examples of a chump? How about Charlie Brown? Charlie Brown never seems to be able to get ahead. Tries to do things right. He's a chump. It rained on his, rains on his parade and his baseball games in his life. Nothing, nothing ever seemed to go right for Charlie Brown. Sometimes it's referred to even as managers of baseball teams. I've heard them say that nice guys finish last. Well, the reality is, sometimes nice guys do finish last. A chump is somebody who seeks to do everything the right way, but never seems to be able to get ahead. And the question comes, is it worth it? So the pastor I heard who spoke on this, he framed it this way. Do you ever get that chump feeling? You're in the express lane at the supermarket, and the sign says eight items or less. So you count your items, and you have nine. You obey the sign and go to the next aisle and watch shopper after shopper with 9, 10, 12, 15 items zip through the express lane while you stand there for 20 minutes behind a woman who is catering a dinner for a marching band. <laughs> and you walk out of the store feeling like a chump. It's tax time. When people routinely see it as their role in life to keep the IRS on their toes, so they forget a little income, fudge a little on their expenses, and think, no big deal. But you don't do that. You meticulously record every single penny you've made. And so when the refund checks are issued, your friends go out and buy big screen TVs and take exotic trips to the islands while you treat your family to dinner at Wendy's. And you feel like a chump. You know how chumps drive? They put their seat belts on, drive the speed limit, while the rest of the world goes whizzing by with their radar detectors and fuzzbusters, do you ever feel like a chump? Now, that's sort of a, a fun way of describing life a little bit. But Asaph, when he's pouring his heart out to God in this song, he has deep 
deep concern about what he's seeing around him. So in Psalm 73, he says this, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my footing. What you're going to see in this psalm is there's an orientation, a disorientation, and a reorientation. He is orienting his life around what is true. Surely, and it's almost like the question, surely, surely God is good to Israel. Surely God is good to me. Surely God's good to my family. Surely God's good to us as a church, right? To those who are pure in heart and try to do things. But then he reflects on his own life. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd almost lost my foothold because it's a challenge. And then he's just raw emotion with God for... I envied the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. By the way, the video you saw was out of the NLT. This is out of the NIV. But the words are, are, are packed together in trying to unpack this emotion. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. The word prosperity here is actually the Hebrew word shalom. So they're trying to describe not only wealth, but this idea of shalom or God's blessing, his peace. And this would seem ludicrous to a, a Hebrew person because surely it was the Jewish people, the Israelites, that's who God's giving shalom and the blessing to and prosperity, if you will. Why would the arrogant, why, why were the, the fat cats, if you will, and to be fat in that day was seen as a good thing because only the rich people were sort of fat. And, and, and they were prosperous in that regard. They don't seem to be plagued by human ills. And therefore, I look at them. Pride's their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity, their evil imaginations. They have no limits. And then they just go on their way. What's the deal? I'm a spiritual chump. There are people that are living godless lives or indifferent to God or they're living by, you know, the, the things of this world and pursuing them and they seem to be doing pretty good at it. I mean, I've tried to play the lottery before. I don't even come close. And there's people around me that they seem to win it on a regular basis or something, right? I don't think they're walking with God or something. You can come up with all kinds of scenarios when you look around you. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. So he leads off this psalm with an orientation of surely the Lord is good to Israel. But then there's this disorientation like this doesn't make sense in life. And not a week goes by that we don't look around us, and whether it's people that's beside us or people uh, in our extended families, maybe it's uh, news things that you watch, where you scratch your head and you go, that doesn't really seem right. Is, is, is anything going to change? Am I seeking to live righteously in vain? They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. You know, it's interesting because in this particular aspect, as he finishes out this uh, disorientation part of it, he's also referencing that there's uh, sort of this ignorance of God and indifference to God. 
People just live in their lives in a materialistic, or what I sometimes would say is an existentialistic manner. You know what the word existential means? Just the here and now. And sort of myopic. This is where we are, here and now. You only go around once in life, so go for all the gusto you can. I know that was at a beer commercial or something, right? But it's, uh, it, it, it's sort of a mindset. Uh, I've got a few years, I'm going to live it up, man. And that mindset can play its way out from one year to the next, one decade to the next in somebody's life, and then even some generations from one generation to the next. Indifference to God. Would the most high God, if he's there, know anything? I'm just flatlining out, trying to make the best I can, and I'm going to run the course. It's about me, maybe my family, maybe a few close friends, but there's no big picture. It's a perspective issue, actually. So Asaph says this, and then he just puts it bluntly. Surely, surely in vain... I have kept my heart pure, and I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. So this disorientation part, he's being raw before God. And I'm sure this wasn't just, yeah, he put this together in a psalm, in a song, in a prayer, and a lament, if you will. But this had been carried on in his life for a significant amount of time. He would stand and he would lead the worship band. But inside of him, there's things that are incongruent and there's brokenness in his own heart. And he's thinking, this isn't lining up. And yet I'm trying to do what I feel God's called me to do. I've invited Christ to come into my life, to be the Lord and Savior, to follow hard after him. But it seems like even when I started to follow harder after him, that's where things started to take a turn. Or maybe you've pressed out into a ministry and you're trying to serve some other people or serve an individual that's maybe in your network of relationships. Maybe you're given sacrificially to to your kids to be able to see them through school or, or some other kind of effort financially. And, and you're going like, ever since I did that, things have gotten worse. Why? Because you and I are not guaranteed prosperity. We are not guaranteed shalom. And Asaph was having a hard time with this as a worship leader. Surely, surely in vain, surely, surely in vain. He's despondent. But something happens in his life then. Something happens in his life that he then comes back and records it in this playlist number. He says this, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny so he did something he's complaining he's sitting on the outside of everything but then he chose to enter the sanctuary of god which i mean i i believe it's entering into the presence of god in a rich and deep way and asking the lord would you please unpack all that's going on and help me see things that maybe i've not seen before or i need to see again in my life because i cannot live in this state with what's happening around me and so he enters the sanctuary and he says, then I understood something, the light bulb went off. <laughs> I never thought about this. You ever um, admired from the outside beautiful stained glass in a cathedral or a building? You know, the Cathedral of Notre Dame 
had the big fire, right, a number of months ago, and they're trying to restore that. Well, last October, my wife and I had the opportunity with our two oldest boys to go in to uh, Notre Dame, and, and from the outside, stained glass looks what? Dark. It's not all that pretty. You can sort of see there's mosaics and stuff. But you step inside the sanctuary, and the radiant light shines through the stained glass, and you step back, and you go... Wow, that's really beautiful. Look at that big rose stained glass that's at the top of Notre Dame. And, and, and thankfully, through the fire, it was all sustained and they can restore it, we believe. But there's something about being on the outside of God's sanctuary that's dulling. But when you come inside God's sanctuary, there's illumination. Now, we don't have stained glass window. In fact, the video screen is sort of the modern-day stained glass window, I guess, right? But I would trust that when you come into a place of sanctuary, the word sanctuary means set apart, set apart for God. So when you come into a, a sacred space, I, I, I trust God's light shines in some brighter ways, especially as we come together as brothers and sisters in the faith or if you're a, a spiritual seeker right now trying to discern if there's a place for God in your life. That when we come together in a place of sanctuary, set apart to seek and discern God, that there's illumination that happens in a unique way. And the light of Jesus Christ can shine through the stained glass and illuminate things that we never realized before. Some of us here this morning need to spend some time with God in his sanctuary. Not this sanctuary, but the sanctuary of his presence because he wants to illuminate some truth to you. And that truth is going to help change your perspective. He said, then I understood their final destiny. And this is referencing their end times kind of thing of where their trajectory is and what's going on. It's a perspective shift. And I want to challenge you to go inside God's sanctuary of eternal truth. And we have to choose to do this on a daily basis to live in our world. Otherwise, we'll get in a place of angst like the psalmist is in the first part of this psalm. So we have... The orientation, surely God is. The disorientation, oh my goodness, look how the wicked prosper. And then there's this reorientation. Then I understood their final destiny. He's recalibrating things. And so somewhere in his life, he walks through this. And he says, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. Now, he said in the first part of this that he was losing his footing. He was slipping himself. But then now he looks in the sanctuary through the stained glass and he says, but look at them. They may have means for this life. They may have a carefree life right now. They may have all those trips or they may have all those perfect kids or those kinds of things, whatever you envy of other people. But if they do not have God in their life, if they don't have a relationship with Jesus, then the trajectory of their life is on a slippery slope. It's like trying to, to climb a cliff and the ground keeps giving way or it's wet, it keeps giving way. When, when I was a young kid, I remember in, in a local park, there was this really long metal slide. I mean, this thing went up there. It was before they cared, OSHA cared about kids or whatever, I guess. And so, I mean, that thing went way high. It's probably, you know, good as high as, as, as that there tube that's up there with the HVAC. And, you know, of course, what's a kid do, right? You go down the slide and go, whoo, that's fun. But then you think to yourself, I wonder if I can run up the slide, right? 
And on those metal slides on slippery hot day, it was hard to get up there and your little feet were tracking. Oh, you get up about half hour, and you slip down. You get up another, oh, and you slip down. I always had this image in my mind when I heard this verse. But their feet are on slippery ground. It looks like they're pretty cool and they're making their headway, but before you know it, they'll slip and they're back down at the bottom. And so Asaph is looking at the world around him. Seems disoriented. But when he walks into the sanctuary and to the eternal truth of God, his perspective begins to shift. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you despise them as fantasies. Why does he despise them? Not because he doesn't love them, but because they are indifferent to him and his purposes in this world. They live in an existential, myopic life. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Now, what's he referring to here? He's referring to whatever season it was before that he was griping and complaining to God. He says, ignorant me. Senseless, ignorant. I was just a brute beast. He repents here. He repents to God for his attitude and his indifference. And he comes back. And he begins to grab a hold of eternal truth. Yet, look at these four statements. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me to glory friends the wicked can't buy this no matter how much money they have but you and I if our hearts are in devotion to our Savior we have this the presence of God is with us as promised through his Holy Spirit he holds us by his strong right hand. It's like somebody is slipping down the cliff or whatever, and you grab him. White. It's like, oh, by the fingertips? No, you grab around the, the wrist and arm, and you see him just pull you. He's going to hold you fast, even in the midst of very difficult times. Yes, once again, difficult times that happened to you this week. Yes, for me, once again, difficult times on this journey of moving from a small, hidden facility to a prominent facility to be able to rock the valley. God's going to hold us fast no matter what. You guide me with your counsel. Now, counsel was seen by counsel in the king's court. They would seek counsel from other people. But this is, it's turned around. The king is given the counsel to his constituents. And he can speak into your life words of wisdom and guidance, even when you think he's being silent and has been silent for a while. And afterward, you will take me into glory. He saw what their final destiny was, but then he looked at his destiny and goes, hey, I'll take mine over theirs. Eternally in the presence of God in a place that Jesus said he goes to prepare a place for us. I don't fully understand things, everything about the new heaven and the new earth, but my goodness, what an inheritance God gives to his children. And I get that. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. A perspective shift. Go inside God's sanctuary of eternal truth. And then he finishes out this way. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. 
But as for me, it is good, oh, so sweet, to be near God. For I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all of your deeds. Friends, if you were to ask me one of my favorite psalms, this would be one of them. Because the question comes around time and again, the why question. And you have to go back to the who question. Who holds you by his strong right arm? And if you are a person this morning who's never had the opportunity to grab a hold of God as he wants to grab a hold of you, with his reckless love to be able to change your life, then I invite you that you would take that initiative and that effort to invite him into your life today. Maybe you're a wanderer of the faith, wandering away. Today, go back and seek him. Go inside God's sanctuary of eternal truth and do so by a soul lay down and honest confession and prayer to God. Have a heart for the lostness of our friends and our family and the world around us. Do not envy them. But if they don't know God, you can pray for them. Don't fall into the traps of jealousy or thinking you are in the have-not group. You have tremendous riches in Christ. So gain a mind that's steadied on the internal riches of knowing Christ himself. I leave you with a Malcolm Muggeridge quote. He was an atheist, British journalist, many things about him and his whole journey. He says, Every happening, great and small, is a parable whereby God speaks to us, and the art of life is to get the message. I invite you, as we sing this song in closing, that uh, you would come into the sanctuary and experience afresh his reckless love and whatever parable that's going on in your life right now, understand that it can be the work of God to give you a message. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. The psalmist Asaph, God shouted to him in his pain. And he said, look around you. Come into the sanctuary. See what their final destiny is and then reckon with the riches that you have. Oh, the riches. My challenge is maybe just to memorize this verse. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Ushers come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connect cards. Joe, lead us in this song and may we be able to put the period on this and when we put the period on this, we're just going to close in a prayer for the students today. But let's worship him and thank him that we are inside his sanctuary.